Star Trek, our favorite frontier. These are the podcasts of Aaron and Polly, their ongoing mission to explore all things Trek, to seek out cool things and pick them apart, to boldly complain as no one's complained before. And this is Paul. And uh, Paul, did you yes, see Anthony Rapp was in the inauguration night program? Did you see him sing to the world? I, I did not, actually. Did you watch any of the inauguration night programming? I did not, actually. <laughs> I watched the inauguration. Uh-huh. I did not watch any of the evening entertainment. Well, I didn't intend to, um, but the following weekend, you know, the weekend after, I uh, was I sat in front of my DVR and I was going to watch an episode of Nova that I record on PBS and inauguration night festivities overran uh, the uh, scheduled Nova program so I had like an hour of inauguration festivities and so I got to see um, the Foo Fighters and um, who else oh uh, you know JT. I did a little, did a little singing, oh, and uh, you know, so there was these different musical acts, and then they they got to the Broadway singers, and uh, it looked like maybe it was members of the original cast of Rent uh, ah, who were okay, singing. That would and, make sense. And Anthony Rapp was uh, was was one of those people a singing. Plus Wayne Brady, I think Wayne Brady was in there as well. So oh, it wasn't okay. just original cast members for Rent. But, no, uh, but I was I was like, look at that! That's Star Trek's Anthony Rapp there. Uh, this is. This is a very old guy conversation that we're having right now. <laughs> Why is it? <laughs> well, an I was old recording guy Nova off of the public broadcast station. Well, it's it's science fiction adjacent because it's science <laughs> fact. <laughs> I, I don't feel like twenty two year olds are having the same conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're too busy, you know, trying to trying to download their Quibi. To my point exactly. <laughs> Well, anyway, I was just—I I was kind of fascinated that uh, you know TV Stamets was was singing uh, on the inauguration program. But uh, hey, Paul. Yes, sir. Did you catch any of that uh, Captain Wharf news that was uh, rolling around this week? I'm a little confused as to why you're talking so much about Star Trek. I I thought we were going to talk about Walker Texas Ranger today. <laughs> I've watched well, both episodes I, in I, anticipation of this conversation. We have watched both uh, Walker episodes in this house as well. And you know, I I because I've neglected to set my DVR for the first episode, I bought it on Amazon. So <laughs> oh, I spent it. that 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 big two ninety nine to uh, watch that the, <laughs> the premiere HD episode of Walker, and. Uh, I I was unaware until then that it was a CW show. <laughs> and, you know, in case you're unaware, dear listener, the CW shows are crap. And uh, wow, wow, was this on brand? Because yeah. uh, this, I, 
I did not. I was not a regular viewer of Walker, Texas Ranger with Chuck Norris. But at least when you were watching an episode of Walker, Texas Ranger with Chuck Norris, you knew that Chuck Norris could kick somebody's ass. He was doing some Texas Ranging. Well, you know, he, he was bringing it, right? You know, there was a toolkit that just Chuck Norris, as Chuck Norris, brings to the set, right? I'm not exactly mm-hmm. sure what Jared Padalecki brings to the set, except Surly. I, I really, really hate this show. <laughs> <laughs> we watched the second episode going, maybe it's going to be better. Maybe it's, maybe the pilot had some problems. Maybe it's going to be better. It was not better, Paul. It was not. It was not. He can't even ride a horse worth a damn. <laughs> I'm watching him ride this horse, and I'm like, hmm, hmm, I don't know, hmm. <laughs> so before we, we actually get into the Star Trek focus. Uh, well, uh, apparently so- we're a Walker, Texas Ranger. Podcast, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> <laughs> that, you, dear listener, you thought you were going for Star Trek. <laughs> but we're, we're going to talk about the show that we hate. Uh-huh. I, I noticed something, and it's something that pinged on me because it, you brought it up in reference to our Yellowstone conversation. Uh-huh. Jellystone. But go ahead. <laughs> not, not the yogi bear show um you had mentioned that texans take off their hat when they're inside correct but this is in texas uh-huh. filmed with inside Jared someone's Padalecki. home not necessarily in a public building oh okay, okay. inside someone's okay. home and i have been uh, very I, I have been watching the hat <laughs> etiquette have I. you know on the show and i'm like there was one i didn't like the way he took his hat off because he took it off by the brim as opposed to taking it off by the cap um mm. and, and so i was like mm, no that's not what we do here uh, but he is a texan well that just because you're a texan doesn't know you know your hat etiquette Fair. fair I'm just saying, you know, there are a lot of Texans that fuck that up. But uh, I also find it interesting that the show is filmed in Texas. Yeah. It is filmed in Austin, Texas. And and despite everything you've told me about Austin, Texas, this show manages to make Austin, Texas look like they're filming it in Canada still. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, Austin, Texas seems awfully boring. Yeah, Yeah, like they're shooting in Vancouver. I'm like, Austin, Texas seems awfully empty and boring. Well, you know, there is another show that uh, shoots in Austin and is based in Austin, and that's that nine one one Lone Star with. Rob oh yeah, Lowe. I forgot that seen, was a thing. Have you seen that? I have not. It's not terrible. It's not great, but it's better you know, than Walker. Oh, it's a whole lot better than Walker, and and there's a lot of Rob Lowe making fun of himself in the show, which I which I really enjoy. But you know, there there are some there's some crazy crap in that show as well, like. You know, in the the second season, because the first season was only six episodes. In the second season, a volcano erupts in Austin. There are huh. no active volcanoes in Austin. <laughs> I was just like, uh huh, yeah. I'm sure it was just as a surprise to the folks of 911 Lone Star as it would be to the actual Austin. I think that the real crisis is Jared Padalecki shooting a show in Austin. And I think that's what Rob Lowe needs to respond to. Fair. I I mean, I feel like there's no character. Uh, None. He's just surly. He's just surly in that show. I mean, the show itself. Like, there's just no, like, eh, it exists. That's that's the best thing I can say about Walker. All the conflict in that show is between he and his family and his his terrible, terrible children. And (laughs) I'm just like, oh, my God, this whole thing is is awful. It's just (laughs) awful. And again, I I think I have maybe watched two episodes of Chuck Norris, Walker, Texas Ranger. 
but I enjoyed both of those many more times, exponentially more times than I've enjoyed the Jared Padalecki uh, Walker. It is just awful. It is you know, just it awful. Is, it really is. But you know who wouldn't have a problem as a Texas Ranger? Who's I that? feel. Who's that? Paul? I feel. I feel Worf. You know, I would think be a very successful. Texas I think Ranger. Worf would be a great Texas Ranger. And, you know, we've seen him wear a hat. Well, you know, in that episode yeah. of uh, of uh, Fistful of Datas. So right. yeah, right. he he can absolutely pull that off. I, I'm I'm down for that, Paul. Well, I apparently, am, what he can't do is captain a ship on television because I, no one wants to see that show. I am ready for Worf, Texas Ranger. <laughs> Warfer, yeah. Texas Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> totally down for that but yeah you know uh michael dorn you know uh i don't know if you recall this but there was like a uh, crowdfunding effort uh for michael dorn to get you know uh a you know, get a script going get a get a a show going of captain wharf oh, uh, i was not aware there was a crowdfunding effort where did that money go i don't know i don't really understand <laughs> how that works since he didn't own the property but there was a crowdfunding effort i have the t-shirt uh and it's a really nice T-shirt of you know Worf with a batleth because you know that's really all I need. But uh, you know I I like the idea of you know in our current Star Trek environment having Worf on a Star Trek show. But I gotta say his pitch for the Captain Worf show sounds just awful. It sounds you know it, it's a whole lot of uh, of uh, you know from the Klingon perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of like, you know, instead of it being from a Starfleet perspective, like the USS Enterprise, it would be from a Klingon ship. And I think that's a great, great idea for a one-off, maybe even a multi-parter, but uh, an ongoing series that way, that, sound, that sounds kind of rough to me. I'd agree. I, 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 I just, I, I think that that's, that's a fallacy. I also think that, you know, showrunners like to run their own shows, and they like to... Uh, you know, be the guys who thought it up and to own it. You know, there there is something you know uh, to be said about having your name you know above the credits in terms of uh, you know created by executive producer. Um, I, I don't think anyone's going to want to sign on to a Michael Dorn executive producer show, right? I I love Michael Dorn. Don't get me wrong. I love Worf. I love. He he was. I got to tell you, he turned his appearance as Worf on Deep Space Nine turned that show around. Uh, I, I really feel like the uh, episode Way of the Warrior, the two part episode where he appears, is really sort of a second pilot for Deep Space Nine because that's mm-hmm. really, in my opinion, where that show comes together. Uh, and I know that there there was a lot of uh, friction when Worf joined the the cast of Deep Space Nine because hey why are you bringing this other guy on but let me tell you that made that show hum hum yeah I don't disagree no. but you know I, I I feel like Klingons work in context uh, as you know as a contrast to Starfleet as a contrast to the the, the type of world and and etiquette that we're used to as the defining viewpoint of a television show i would i have very little interest in seeing that yeah i just i i I, like i said i think it's great for a one-off and you know a a multi-part story but a a a entire series built around it i think that would be really hard i think that'd be very limiting unless you've got just some brilliant idea that you and i haven't thought of well but as packaged i'm not sold 
<laughs> I want me, I want me, I want me some Worf in Star Trek Picard. Um, but you know, he, he was asked if he had been approached for Star Trek Picard and he said that he has not been. And he hmm. also, he also said something that, that I thought, I, I thought was very true that, that, that I really agreed with, I, I should say. And is that, you know, for him to spend four hours getting into makeup, it's gotta be worth his time. The, the 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 part has to be juicy enough to warrant that. And man, I get that. I mean, that's all. That's a a lot of time to commit early in the day, uh, before you can even start working. So that, that absolutely made sense to me. Yeah. So I mean, they, with Picard, they they very much were clear about. It. They didn't want it to be just getting the band back together. They right. wanted it to be its own thing. You know, oh, yeah. it was. That's why. Um, Riker and Troy were used sparingly, mm-hmm. even though they were the best parts of that show. Well, you know, um, speaking of Riker and Troy, I read the new Star Trek Picard novel, uh, huh? Dark Veil, by uh, I want to say his name is James Sparrow. Let me let me. Yes, sounds James, like a James, Star Wars novel name. James Swallow. Sorry. Yeah, I don't understand. Oh. Uh, on, honestly, I don't understand why it was called the Dark Veil. <laughs> um, to be perfectly honest, I, that, that tie, and I have to keep going back and looking at the cover of the book because I, the title never made sense to me. Um, the I, I've never read anything by James Swallow, and I don't read a ton of Star Trek novels uh, anymore. But uh, he's not one of the the regulars that I typically see. But I, I liked this book. It was uh, it, uh-huh. it 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 features it focuses on. Uh, Riker and Troy and their six-year-old son uh, Thad uh, that we hear about in uh, in Picard season one. Um, it takes place after Picard has uh, left Starfleet, but before the the Rikers have left Starfleet. And I I really enjoyed what I think really worked well in the book was the relationship between Riker and Troy. Uh, what I thought worked less well was the hyper intelligent, ultimately clever uh, six year old child. Uh, that's something that always annoys me is when the, you know, six year old is more intelligent than the people around him. Uh, I, I think that's bad writing, to be perfectly yeah. honest. Uh, I would have, I would have really appreciated a, a story about the kid where he is less special and more normal kid. Um, you know, every, every, every child, well, most every child <laughs> has some special quality about them, but I've met few that I'm like, wow, this six year old is talking, is communicating on a 15 year old level. Um, uh, that just, that, that was something that, that bothered me about the book. What also bothered me about the book, and I won't spoil anything, but I will say that it ties in too tightly to the first season of Star Trek Picard. Mm. Uh, and once you understand that it does, it really removes a lot of the drama from the book, uh, which I found frustrating. I was like, eh, they, ha- they had a good book here. They didn't have to do that, you know? So there are elements, uh, there, there are elements that are revealed in the book that, you know, we learn about in uh, Picard. And of course, the thing here is that they never knew. You know, Riker and Troy didn't realize that they were dealing with this, right? Um, and that that's super annoying, right? Um, so I, that, that, I have some objections about the book, but I will say uh, I was entertained. Uh, I burned through it. It's an easy read. 
Um, and I, the, the writer, Mr. Swallow, uh, does a really uh, strong job of, of writing the starship combat and, uh, making you feel like you're in that Star Trek world. So in, in terms of immersion and diversion, uh, I thought this was a, a, a solid, uh, a solid effort. And overall, I get it about three and a half stars. Out of five? Uh, five. Four? Yeah. Out of five. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's not great. But it wasn't bad, and I thought it was time well spent. And that's what—that's how I'll characterize it. It was quality time spent with Deanna and uh, Captain Riker. Okay, okay. okay. So, I mean, I'm not going to rush out and read it, I, but, uh, yeah, but our I, listeners might. Yeah, I, like I said, you know, I, it was strong enough. It was strong enough. Quality time. Well, you know, hey, it gives you that that Picard, or it doesn't give you the itch. It gives it scratches that Picard itch. Um, that, that you, you won't get scratched for a little while. That's right, because, uh, you know, we, we did find out this week that uh, Sir Patrick Stewart himself, uh, an octogenarian, I believe, got his first shot of the uh, coronavirus vaccine, but that has delayed production on season two because they need to wait for him to get his second dose plus allow the additional seven to ten days for his immunity to, to, to spin up. So uh, they were supposed to start, I believe, as we record this yesterday, February yeah. 1st, um, but they have pushed it back. And so I, it, it sounds like so, something should start by the end of the month. For what it's worth, I'm kind of surprised they just couldn't figure out how to film the stuff that doesn't involve him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, kick this thing off uh because at this point there are well no we we discovery season four is actively filming correct yes yeah well uh yes they they should be uh they were supposed to start filming in thanksgiving i think that got delayed a little bit but yes they they they're actively shooting right now and lower decks is in production prodigy just finished uh it's it's uh recordings because it's animated so they've done all the voice work for season one and they're about to start season two so okay. there's a lot in the hopper, but I don't think anything's been announced for 2021. No, not that I know of. I mean, even though they are they are using um, Captain Pike and Spock in those Paramount Plus commercials. Yeah, and uh, I you know I do expect there to be an announcement about you know Strange New Worlds pretty soon. But I th- because they haven't even started shooting yet. Um, I. Uh, I doubt heavily that they're going to be on on uh, on TV before the end of the year. I mean, I just I don't think there's any live action queued up for uh, by the end of the year. Again, I mean, I know coronavirus, you know, uh, played hell with all that scheduling. But damn, that seems a big miss when you're launching your network and Star Trek is your brand. Yeah, I I agree. It's you know, it's one of those things that. they 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 had this twenty three weeks straight of Star Trek, uh-huh. and it's like you 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 didn't want to just move the cheese a little bit so yeah. that we don't have <laughs> have twenty three weeks of Star Trek and then fifty two without. Yeah. Um, well, I, I imagine Lower Decks is going to be back on, but yeah, I don't I think, think anybody's subscribing for Lower Decks. No. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I, I that's a that it's a little concerning to me what they're doing here. And, yeah. uh, you know, maybe they, maybe they'll surprise us. Maybe they've got some sort of, you know, secret, secret, uh, programming out there, but perhaps I, I, I would, I would be very surprised. It seems like we would have heard something. Yeah, I would agree. But yeah, I, you know, uh, strange new worlds is actually supposed to start shooting this month. 
so that, you know, and I guess the way they're able to do that is I think Strange New Worlds will shoot in Vancouver or Canada somewhere. Not uh, Austin, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's Warfer is shooting in <laughs> Warfer Austin, Texas. Is shooting there. Uh, but the uh, I think Strange New Worlds shoots in Canada, whereas Picard, which will be shooting concurrently, ideally, shoots in uh, in California because, you know, Picard don't travel. Um so, you know, when when they're able to begin releasing this stuff, it sounds like they're going to have a ton of stuff to release all at the same time. So, you know, we could be in another situation where it's, you know, 25 weeks, 30 some weeks of uh, of shows because you'll have Discovery, Picard, Strange New Worlds all dropping at the same time or in rapid succession. In a row, yeah. Time. Yeah. That's crazy town. That's crazy town. But Paul, like you said... It was 23 weeks of new Star Trek. We it made was. it, Paul. We made <laughs> I mean, we didn't record 23 episodes. No, no, because because you know why? We have jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 legitimately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I thought when we uh, when we started this long voyage of ours that you know we'd probably hit 18 episodes, and I think you know we somewhere around 10. Uh, <laughs> just, I feel hard. like we. I feel like we recorded more during lower decks than we did. I think you're right. I think you're. I think we just got. You know, life happened, and uh, you know. Anyway, but you know, we did. We we uh, we we made it through 23 weeks of new Star Trek, including a big three part season ender for Discovery. And uh, I I I gotta tell you, I, I've got I've got some things to say. Well, okay. Well, Sam. Sam. Well, well, you know, we uh, we open up in uh, in this story. We're just going to talk about it in general, so this isn't going to be a scene by scene breakdown, folks. But you know, Discovery, you know, heads out there to figure out what the cause of the burn is because you know they, they found this uh, this area of space where it came from. They had they had deciphered the message. Uh, from the Kelpian ship, and you know, obviously Saru is very interested because he hasn't seen a Kelpian since he's uh, been to the future. And uh, you know, they head out there and they find out that that uh, there is a lone survivor, and they 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 beam to the ship to the ship after Book has to help navigate them in there because you know it's all uh, dicey and whatnot, and there's you know high radiation. It's a it's a bad bad scene, and of course they get there right as the ship is beginning to fail. I mean this is timing, Paul. This is mm-hmm. timing. Uh, but the, but they get to this ship and they find out that it's a big holographic environment inside this ship. And, you know, so you've got Culber on, on the away mission, you've got Saru on the away mission, and you've got, uh, starts off with Michael, right? Yes. Michael on the away mission. And they get there and, you know, the Kelpian survivor is, was, because the, the ship crash landed like a hundred years ago, uh, was the child of the, the, uh, female Kelpian that had transmitted the, you know, SOS. And he apparently caused the burn that he had some sort of, and I'm fuzzy on the science here, Paul, but, you know, he had some <laughs> sort of, uh, of psychic connection that when he screamed psychically, we find out this much later, right? It's a mystery at first. We find out much later how this happens, that when he screamed, seeing his mother die, he screamed at the same phase harmonic 
of dilithium crystals. And because they're on a dilithium planet, what is characterized as a dilithium nursery, Paul, it is so rich. It's like this planet's job is just to make dilithium, for God's sake. Because he's his he is on that same wavelength with this dilithium nursery, it sends out a subspace scream across the galaxy that then blows up all the dilithium, thus the burn. So mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I have to admit it here now that I was wrong. Michael Burnham did not cause the burn. It wasn't called the burn because it's Burnham. But it was not. Yeah. So I'm I, I apologize. I was wrong. But I feel like your idea was better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I know I'm jumping to the end here, uh, Uh you know, but I do, upon the revelation of what caused the burn, that it was an upset child irradiated by the dilithium planet um, after his mother. all, All of that was really sketchy. Yeah, I, I was like, uh huh. Yeah. His mom died, and he got upset, and caused the destruction of all dilithium in the uh-huh. galaxy. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, like that's well, and that that, that was a big a, a big womp for me. Again, jumping to the end, they I I don't know if you noticed this, but the writers made really quick work to shoehorn this in that well, once we get him off the planet. This won't be a risk for us anymore. Yeah. He won't have he won't have this you know stockpile of dilithium to fuel his psychic rage, and I, I'm just like wow, y'all really had to squeeze that little nugget in so that you know nobody at Starfleet said okay so we have to kill this son of a bitch you know <laughs> yeah. because that was in my head is like why is he still alive why what why are y'all walking around this holodeck going oh we got to get keep this kid calm because you know shit could happen I'm just like phaser in the back of the head this takes yeah, he won't he won't see it coming he won't get yeah, upset Everything's right. just, good. just shoot him right in the back of the head just done problem yeah, I did solved. find that very interesting uh-huh. um that you know one okay well now he's fine now that he's away from the planet uh-huh. um and you know that they had spent a great deal of time establishing maybe there's a conspiracy uh-huh and there, there wasn't yeah. really, you know, um, which I guess is why they shoehorned in Osira as the series, as the, this season. For real conflict. Yeah, yeah, for real conflict. Uh, you know, and so while all this is going on, Osira has, uh, you know, gone over to, well, actually, she shows up there, you know, just outside the uh, the system in which this dilithium nursery is and attacks the Discovery. Uh, so, Aaron, know, I'm going to pause you here, right, yeah. right at this very moment, because this very moment is something that I wish to discuss. Okay. The spore drive. Mm-hmm. And the the jumping capabilities of the sport drive were such a significant part of this season. Like, you know that the te- this nine hundred year old technology is better than anything they have in the future because of the lack of dilithium. Right. Yet Osiris' ship seems to have similar capabilities, but yeah, Osiris no seems to get around pretty pretty fast, doesn't she? Yeah, and no yeah. real explanation for it. Yeah, to my understanding, you know, but they they seem to be able to jump in the same fashion, obviously with a different special well, effect. They, Osira was using. They did explain that that she was using, you know, old Borg transwarp conduits, and they were like, "Oh, you got to be yeah. crazy to use these Borg transwarp conduits, you know, because there's all, all that Borg debris in them." But uh, I agree. I mean, you know, she seems to be getting around just as comfortably as if she, you know, had a spore drive herself, you know, or yeah. f- fully functioning 
the lithium crystals. It was just super weird to me that, uh, you know, she, she is able to be at any corner of the galaxy she needs to be in. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, but, but, you know, she shows up and while, uh, you know, Michael Burnham and Saru are on the dilithium planet, uh, Ensign Tilly, who is the executive officer, is in command of the ship. And, you know, she, you know, loses, long story short, she, you know, things don't go well and she loses the ship to Osira. So Osira takes Discovery and uses it as a Trojan horse to gain access to the Federation. And, you, you know, you, you're given to believe that she, you know, to the, to the Starfleet base, I should say. Um, and you're given to believe that, you know, she's, she is just going to just blow the place up, but she's actually there to negotiate for peace. And so we had this long uh, negotiation between her and, and uh, Admiral Vance. And I got to say, I, I was fascinated that they actually were negotiating details. And it's one of the things I really enjoyed about this uh, three-parter was how detailed they got. They just didn't, they didn't just gloss over issues. And, you know, finally Vance says, yeah, we have a deal here, except that, you know, we're going to have to try you for war crimes, <laughs> which, you know, of course, queers the deal. But yeah. I, I really thought the writers did a remarkable job taking, you know, uh, two fictional characters with their uh, fictional grievances, right, and concerns, and have them negotiate. I, I was just fascinated at, at how this was happening, because you just so rarely see that in a sh in uh, media. Usually it's glossed over, it happens in, you know, outside the room, that kind of thing. Oh, we, we, we finally got to an, an agreement. But no, you were seeing it real time on screen, and I thought they did a remarkable job making that interesting. Yeah, I thought it was well done. Um, yeah. You know, I thought I thought they did that that scene. Even though, admittedly, I struggled to embrace Osira as mm -hmm. a as villain, the big bad as the big bad because yeah. one, you know, she was mentioned in name only, and then she kind of popped up in the last few episodes, uh, and just kind of like your uh, until this moment, just your random over the top villain without any real. You know, I agree. justification I, or motivation or it's just kind of like your your cardboard cutout, uh, you know, mustache twirling villain until this scene, mm -hmm. really. Yeah, I, I thought this was a great scene for her. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I certainly connected a lot more with Osira in the in the last couple of episodes. But I agree, you know, her. We didn't get to see enough of her motivations earlier on. She was just sort of a mustache twirling villain, you know, and you know, like when she mm -hmm. uh, kills her nephew, you know, earlier on yeah. in the season, there wasn't any reason for that, you know, mm -hmm. and we didn't really, there wasn't a strong enough case other than to just say, okay, we've got the highlighter. This is a bad person, right? Mm -hmm. um, the, I, I have a hard time reconciling the Osira that we saw at the end of the season with the Osira we saw at the beginning of the season. And yeah, I, I, you know, they, they make the case that, you know, she sometimes has to make nasty decisions, but I never, you never saw when she's killing her nephew that she regretted that, right? That, that, you know, eh, I wish I hadn't had to kill my, my nephew. She didn't have to kill her nephew. She no. chose to kill her nephew, mm -hmm. you know? And so I, yeah, I agree. I, I don't think that, that the character was uh, treated evenly throughout the season. And I wish that what we saw in the last couple of episodes was more present in the earlier episodes. Well, and for your big bad, not to show up until the last four episodes uh -huh. of your season. 
Um, well, which is why my point about, you know, we, we assumed that the big bad would be associated with the burn and this conspiracy. And it just kind of seemed like, okay, no, we're going to do something else. Well, one of my, one of my issues with discovery is that it's not an ensemble show as much as it tries to be. It's not an ensemble show. Michael Burnham is the protagonist, right? Yes. And anywhere there's conflict, you're going to see Michael Burnham show up. So, I mean, it's a little ridiculous to me that she had to be all the way over there on the dilithium nursery planet. Right. And then leave and then go back to uh, Starfleet because she's, you know, on the, the kidnapped, you know, USS Discovery, right? Or no, they have to follow the USS Discovery because she's on bookship. Yep. Then has to rescue Discovery. I mean, all these conflicts, Michael Burnham's got to be right in the middle of because she is the singular hero of this series. And that frustrates me because what I – the show set up – that Tilly was the one who was, you know, overpowered in the first episode, right? Mm-hmm. You know, where where uh, Osira takes over Discovery. I really wanted Tilly to get over Osira, right? Yeah. And that's not how it works out, you know. In fact, Tilly almost dies, and you know, it's left to Owo to pull everybody's fat out of the fryer. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I love Owo. Glad Owo had that moment. But I really wanted to see, you know, Tilly get the better of Osira, and she doesn't. What they do is they they're able to, you know, make this thing happen. But it's Michael Burnham who's pushing on, who, who's, you know, getting the the victory, as it were. I just yeah. I, I found that frustrating. Well, I mean, I think to your point, that's the, that's the established. Um, show that we have it, it's you know while the ensemble is that we have a great supporting cast for michael burnham but every single conflict in the show um is involves or resolved by her well and i think uh, that i think that point is really made when you know she is she is attempting to liberate discovery mm-hmm. and she realizes before she can even do that she's got to get stamets off ship because they they can't use the spore drive unless they've got stamets and she's like, you know, I, I, I'm going to, you know, boot Stamets off the ship. And Stamets is like, what are you, are you kidding me? We've, I've got to jump us right now back to the Dilithium Nursery because, you know, Culber and Saru and now uh, uh, Adira, Adira, Adira yes. are all on the are, are on the the radiation planet, and I got to go get them. You know, every everybody I love is on that planet, and she's like, sorry. I can't risk you. And she puts him in a little life pod and shoots him away. And, you know, he, he, he tells her, he says, I can't believe you're doing this. We sacrificed everything for you to follow you here. You've got it. You've got to sacrifice for us now. And she, she ejects him. I mean, she has Starfleet all the way, you know, mission before family. And even though it breaks her heart, I mean, it was a great moment. I mean, you can tell that, you know, it kills Stamets. Uh, it's killing her. It happens. And what I, two things I like about that moment. One, it really illustrates it's all about Michael Burnham. <laughs> yeah. It really is all about Michael Burnham because he's absolutely right. They, they gave up everything to follow her. And that's one of the things I don't understand. I don't understand, you know, the, the, this gigantic crew of people saying, eh, yeah, I don't, I don't need, you know, uh, my life here in the, 24th 23rd century i can i can go you know in 900 years in the future for her (laughs) i just i don't i don't get that i don't get that and the case wasn't made strong enough that they needed everybody for the mission right 
A second thing I like about that moment is that it can it creates or I hope it creates real conflict between Stamets and Burnham going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you we saw, you know, at the end of the at the you know very end of the third episode, we saw Stamets giving Michael Burnham some really, you know, harsh side eye. Yeah. Uh, and I, I hope that the writers don't make that friendly and happy too soon. Um I, I that that relationship needs to be chilly. Agreed. No, hopefully they take advantage of it. Um, They don't just gloss over it. But, you know, um, one of the things we didn't mention, and and it popped in my head because you mentioned Adira down on the planet, Mm -hmm. is that Adira's prior host. Her her symbiont's prior host. Her symbiont's prior host um, appeared in person. Yeah. Yeah. On the the planet. the, The Hollow Matrix... Anyway, mm-hmm. listen, listen to me with the Star Trek Jesus. terms. The Hollow Matrix identified Gray as a real person. Right. Yes. And mm-hmm. thus created a holographic image of Gray, just as it was costuming all the others. And, and, you know, we should say that as they beamed in, that Hollow Matrix substituted their external images. So, like Saru, Doug Jones got to not be in the makeup chair except to get his wig. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he was thrilled about this. Can we do this all the time? Uh, so, you know, when, you know, uh, Culber, I think, is Bajoran. Uh, I forget what Adira was. Um, Vulcan? No, uh, Gray was Vulcan. Gray. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, Saru was human. But, you know, Gray is visible, which, you know, you, we didn't talk about this on the show, but there was part of me that's like, you know, Gray's just got to be a figment of her imagination, right? You know, because you've got the symbiont and those memories. Well, somehow, Gray is some sort of living entity that's tied to a deer. And I'm sure we'll find out more about that. But, you know, the the holodeck was able to register, excuse me, register his presence, and so I'm certain that we're going to be seeing more of that and that somehow the uh, 900-year uh, advanced holodeck on the USS Discovery will somehow be able to figure that out with Control's help to make Stamets visible. Yeah, it'll be some shaky science fiction just like No, that. no, it'll be <laughs> solid science just like this fucking dilithium planet and the kid's <laughs> psychic scream. But, you know, one of the things that drives me crazy about Discovery, and it's bothered me ever since we first saw it, is the vast turbo lift network that's represented inside the ship. You know, there's this huge turbo lift fight where, you know, Book is fighting the bad guy and, you know, you've got all that. Michael Burnham leaps through, you know, leaps out of the turbo lift with the door open. And, you know, it all seems far too large for the size of USS Discovery. It doesn't make sense. It does not in any way, shape or form. Like, because it basically what it looks like is that the entire, you know, um, what do you call those things? Trans turbo lift turbo lift. The entire turbo lift platform is centrally located in one giant turbo lift room. And that's that that can't physically work within Uh the context of discovery, given the shape of the ship. Maybe maybe we're supposed to understand that that is um, some type of warp time space continuum (laughs) rather than to look at it literally as a giant room of elevators flying all over the place. I really hate Uh, it. 
<laughs> it, it's it's you know, and we've seen it twice now, right? We've seen it before. Yeah. Well, um, and we saw it in the uh, short track, right? With, yes. With uh, uh, number one and Spock trapped in the in the turbo lift, so we saw some of that there. I hate it, Paul. Yeah, I mean, it's not my favorite. It's a shaft. It, it's like an elevator shaft that that moves vertically and horizontally. It doesn't free float uh, in some ethereal elevator plane. I hate Fair it. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I'm just saying. But you know, Paul, we had a conversation earlier in uh, in this journey. Where I said, you know, I like Admiral Van, so did Fair. I like him in this role. He seems like he's playing a good guy. And what did you say, Paul? You said, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. He seems like he's a good guy. No, he doesn't, Aaron. <laughs> they dropped a hint in that final episode. What Where he what talks hint? about his wife and his daughter, and he's like... That he murdered? Oh, they're away. <laughs> Like, they're not here right now. Uh huh. They're 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 away for to be safe or some they're random visiting shit. Visiting the in-laws. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like that's a hint. Otherwise, why mention it at all? Uh huh. It added nothing to the program except to make you go. Where Admiral Vance is a good guy. He's okay to watch your dog while you travel, Paul. He's not. He's yeah. going to kick your dog. He, he uh, no, not Admiral Vance. He's going to get on the floor and play with him. No, he's going to kick your dog. But you're going to come back and you're going to think that he spent the entire time playing with the dog. Uh-huh. Admiral Vance is bad. Yeah, he's bad, bad he's news. A, he's a good guy, Paul. He's not. I, 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 I guarantee he's going to be. He's going to be the big bad of season four. Five, whatever the frick season's next. Four. Season four is next. Well, <laughs> well, Paul, you know, you knew it had to happen. Something had okay. to happen to Saru. And at the, the end of this season, Saru goes on hiatus. He's on a leave of absence, if you will, because he wants to help the, uh, the, the, the young Kelpie in charge. Young. He's 100 years old. Uh, that, that they discovered on the Dilithium planet. And let me just stop for a second and just say, you know, we've all been in lockdown for almost a full year now. And even though we've had social media and lots of new things that, uh, that we can stream and, you know, we can have our uh, Zoom meetings, we're all about to go fucking batshit. <laughs> this kid is locked up on a planet where he knows all he's talking to are imaginary people. And he's not fucked up. I mean, like, horribly fucked up. Like, like you know, do something terrible to your cat fucked up. Kick I'm your sorry. dog. Yeah, well, okay. it's because... He has left the planet, <laughs> and now the the forces of that planet that drove him to be crazy in the first place are have have left him. He, I'm he, sorry. He, if you lock good. me in a room and all I've got's Netflix for a hundred years, <laughs> hell, a, a, a hundred weeks less, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a little crazy, a little bit. I mean, I think if anything, lockdown has proven that uh, you know. People's tolerance for isolation is minimal. <laughs> I'm just saying, Paul. I'm just saying, hundred years. I don't care how interactive the 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 the, the, the fake people were. I think it's still kind of kind of. I think he would be incredibly damaged. And maybe that's something they're they're going to jump into in the the next season. Yeah. I, I have a feeling we'll never see that character again. Oh, I'm just gonna put yeah, that you out. have to see him again. You know, no, there's so many unresolved issues. Are there you know, really? Yeah, I mean, you know, what if he reacts to other, you know, radioactive isotopes in the same way? What if he's got some sort of, you know, s- some kind of weird psychic harmonic when he chuckles? You know, <laughs> you never know. 
You never know. I think he's gone. I think we're done with him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Saru is certainly gone for a while. And, you know, it's one of those things that drives me crazy because it's an artificial story barrier that we have to overcome next time. Because, you know, Doug Jones isn't gone. Doug Jones isn't leaving this show. And they're not stupid enough to get rid of Doug Jones. Uh, Because I got to tell you, he's one of my favorite things in Discovery. I loves me some Saru. Um, I, I... I just I hate that we're going to have to spend time with trying to figure out how to get him back on the ship. But we do have it took 3 seasons to get there, Paul. 3 full seasons to get there to be able to say Captain Burnham to the bridge. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So now we have Captain Burnham, which, you know, doesn't it doesn't really feel like the right choice to have made. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's just me. I, I guess with your lack of options, I, I get what what Admiral Vance mm-hmm, seems like an ulterior motive. Um, you know, was was thinking. You know, he's like sometimes you just need someone who's who thinks outside the box, and that's why he gave her the. You know, I shouldn't say gave her the role. That's why he determined that she had earned the spot as the captain right. of of the uh, the Starship Discovery. Um, you know, we we knew it was coming. Yeah. So I mean, I, I'm not like mad at it. I just. I feel like I, I feel like poor decisions will be made with Michael Burnham right. at the helm. Right. Well, you know, certainly, certainly some, uh, you know, some what did they call it? Cowboy diplomacy is what they called it in yeah. uh, Star Trek. Uh, it's going to be like Walker, Texas, Texas Ranger, up in space. Warfer, Texas Ranger. <laughs> and, and just like that, we've come full circle. I, you know, I, I love Discovery, but you know, I, I feel like I enjoyed those episodes more before we started talking. Now I, now I've riled myself up about them. <laughs> I, I, I found a lot to enjoy in the episodes. I will say, I, I, admittedly, the stuff on the planet, I, I was ready for that to be over with. Yeah, I, I um, the, like the went on way planet, too long. Way too long. I mean, three episodes worth was way too long. Um, so for ultimately, overall, I did enjoy quite a bit of it. I enjoyed the fight, you know, with with Book and the you know the taking back of the ship, and and I enjoyed a lot of the action that took place on the Discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I but the the for me the ultimate resolution of what started the burn. Um, and, and the introduction of the big bad were very lackluster, um, you know, resolutions to to the story. I I, I mean, I felt yeah. Um, I, if I felt like they were setting up something different. Yeah, yeah. I I uh, I, I was disappointed in the way some of that resolved. Overall, I enjoyed the season. Um, I don't think it's my favorite season of Discovery, though. I think season two is uh, currently stands out as my favorite season because you know it's it's got me some of that Captain Pike, some of that delicious, <laughs> delicious Anson Mount. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I thought it, I thought it was a mostly positive season, but boy, there were there were certainly some uneven episodes, up to and including these last three. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and you know, but now we have new Starfleet uniforms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of gray jumpsuit looking uniforms. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care for them. Yeah. Me either. But you know, I'm sure they'll retool them for next but season. I will Maybe say, not. I will say Oded Fair looks marvelous in his uniform, <laughs> except for when he sits down, when he sits down, it rides up a little weird. Like, well, I don't yeah. think, it, I don't think it was made for sitting. No, I don't think, mo- I don't think most of those outfits were made for sitting. Mm-hmm. So but, we'll see what comes in Star Trek discovery season four. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we want to know what you thought of Star Trek Discovery Season 3. Give us a call. 
972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. If we use your voicemail on the show, you could win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. You can also hit us up on social media, IOMGeek on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And while you're out there, check out IOMGeek.com and our other podcast, Funny Books, with Aaron and Pauly. Um, just last week, we released our favorite comic book choices of 2020. Um, lots of good conversation there. Definitely check it out. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, come back next time where we'll uh, talk about more Star Trek news, more Star Trek goodness. I have a, I have a whole list of things that I'm about to assign to Paul to watch and read. Ooh. So come back here to listen to Paul whine about it. No, come back here to listen to, to, listen to Paul pretend he did those <laughs> We'll see you next time. Bye. Star Trek with Aaron and Polly is a production of IOMGeek.com. Have a question or comment? Hailing frequencies are open at 972-763-5903. Tribble wrangling provided by Triskelion Trays. No troublesome tribbles. Mr. Aponte's wardrobe provided courtesy of Garrick's Clothiers, conveniently located on the promenade. 